I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are in the thick of it, getting ready for the legislative session. Our South Dakota legislator legislature is going to be back in session beginning, uh, as you're listening to it, this Tuesday, January 11th, kicking it off, State of the State address at 1 p.m. The governor will be giving her assessment of kind of where the state is at and where the state is going. Big topic of conversation amongst many legislators is um, federal dollars. We've got an influx of uh, federal resources in the state of South Dakota this year um, due to COVID relief uh, spending. And so it's going to be a big topic of conversation amongst many legislators, how to spend this money, what to do with it, where it fits in the scheme of things with the South Dakota uh, budget. As I am getting ready to drive up there tonight, we've got an opening mass uh, tomorrow morning. Father Joel Holtzhauser at Saints Peter and Paul, um, kind of a, an annual custom. I'm starting to think through too, like what does the session ahead look like? That's going to be talking about uh, a little bit on the show today. To have this conversation, I am joined by my good friend, Norman Woods. Norman is the director of the Family Heritage Alliance, a uh, Christian South Dakota public policy organization. I'll let Norman tell you a little bit about it. Norman, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Glad okay. to join you. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so Family Heritage Alliance, if somebody's <laughs> never heard of it before, what is it? So we advocate for family values at the state capitol and school boards and other areas. So we work to ignite the grassroots, engage with elected officials, and work to elect conservative leaders. We want to build a community where Christians can come learn together about the controversial issues of the day, work to make their voice heard at the state capitol or school board or the halls of government, and work to make sure that elected leaders are representing them well. That's beautiful. And I've been really grateful for our friendship over the last four years, coming up on our fifth session together. Hey, there we go. Yeah, time flies. Um there's just a lot of uh, overlap. Obviously, we haven't, um, you know, we're different organizations uh, representing um, d- different constituencies, but mm-hmm. there's just, so it's not a perfect overlap, but there's been a lot of overlap through the years with pro-life, as you said, family values, religious freedom. So it's been great to be to be in those trenches uh, with you. Before we kind of launch in and just talk a little bit more about the legislative session, Norman, um, I want to ask you a question, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna hit you with this, Norman Woods. What? Why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to my head is it's true. Ah, it's legitimate. It's real. God is out there, so I can choose to believe in Him or not, but that doesn't make Him go away. Amen. Did you? Were you so raised in the faith, and and have always had uh, Christian convictions, or have there been? real moments of a profound deepening conversion. What's what's your story look like? Yeah, so I think familiar with a lot of people, I was little, raised in a Christian home. And so if you're raised in a Christian home, you probably remember the first time you were you know, talking to your parents about asking Jesus into your heart or the first time you remember that. So I think I was six. Um, when I remember my first time, my mom kind of sitting me down and talking to me about what it means to, to trust Jesus, et cetera. So, you know, what six-year-old that has a good relationship with their parent is going to say, no, I don't want that, right? So I think that's the first time I remember talking about faith, Christ, et cetera. But it wasn't until I was about 12 that it really became real for me. Mm. Um, you're familiar with Teen Pack Leadership Schools. Yeah. Um, 
I was at one of their summer camps. So I was down in Georgia. It was halfway through the week and it was late at night, laying in my bunk wide awake. And I was 12 years old. And I just remember thinking, okay, I'm surrounded by all these kids that have actually decided that they know they want to follow Christ and it's actually theirs. Yeah. You know, they didn't come here to worship God because their parents forced them to, it's actually theirs. And I remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's actually got to be mine now. And I think that's when my faith really became my own. And when I remember really grabbing onto this whole idea, the belief, and actually, okay, I'm going to pursue this as mine. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, and you mentioned Teen teen Pact, and that's something Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention today, because I know you were just visiting with, um, you you had a luncheon today, and you talked about Teen Pact. Mm -hmm. Uh, my understanding of Teen Pact is it's it's kind of a formation opportunity for for young people, teenagers, to really, as you just described so wonderfully, just to own their faith. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not just for me. It's like something that can be that, in fact, is for everybody. It you know that I should take out into the world, even into the realm of um, even into the realm of politics. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. So on paper, what Teen Pact is is that's a one week class where you're at the Capitol hands on. But what they do is they take the concept of government, civic involvement, and leadership, and they use that as a platform just to teach Christian leadership and engagement in your community, bringing your faith into every area of your life, and really going against the flow. Because, you know, as Christians in this world, we're we're not going with the flow. We're fighting what society is saying is right, oftentimes. And so that's the first example where kids are like, here's what it looks like to live your faith out. Yeah. Well, and speaking of going against the flow, I, I know it, this comes up all the time on the show. Um, the Bishop Diocese of Sioux Falls, uh, Bishop DeGroote, and I know Bishop Peter Mewich uh, West too, the, uh, just a book that they're both familiar with. And Bishop uh, DeGroote bought a number of copies of, it's called um, uh, From Christendom to Apostolic yeah, Mission. Apostolic Mission. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So it's like, yeah, we are going against the flow in many ways. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, one of the things too that I'd love to hear you just share a little bit, Norman, Um You've got, I think, a unique sort of path into your work now and your attraction to politics. Mm-hmm. What, maybe tell us a little bit about that path, but what too is maybe the first, what drew you uh, what or drew attracted you? you to politics? Sure. So I can't really take credit for the first part because I was forced to go to Teen Pact as a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that I was pretty mad at my mom for making me go. I had to miss a motocross weekend. And then I showed up and I found out I had to wear a tie. Aha. So day one was not good. Yes. By the end of day one, I realized that, okay, these people running it are actually pretty cool. Yeah. Halfway through the week, I was loving the Team Pact experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they just make it really fun and hands-on to learn about how government works and how we as Christians can make an impact. So it started with that class. So after two or three years, that just <clears> kind of gave me an interest in the general concept of politics. Yeah. And that's what first lit the spark. You know, I think... Too, as we think about, okay, taking our faith into public policy, taking our, really living our faith, even in the realm of politics, one of the objections that's out there in society is this objection of like, well, quit, quit imposing your faith on everybody else. How do you, you know, have you heard that before? And how do you deal with that? How do you respond to it? Yeah. So honestly, we're not trying to impose our beliefs on anybody. We're seeking the good of the city. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's no, almost like that's somebody's mission statement or something. Okay. So, Quarite Pachum Civitatis, that's the motto of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. And, and really well put, just that these are truths that, that are compelling and important for everybody. Um, and uh, just that word impose, too. Totally agree. We're not imposing anything. We're proposing, not imposing. And, 
you know, the, the legislative process is really this marvelous mechanism we have mm-hmm. um, for, for sharing how we've come to understand um, what is true or right or prudent. And we're advocating for these things because they're best for people, they're best for society. Yeah. You know, I think maybe that's a good transition into one of um, the topics that I want to just talk about as we're kind of looking at the, the session ahead, this very sensitive topic of gender ideology, gender theory. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear these things um, coming from, call it the other side. They, you know, you, you, you say that you, th- you believe that um, we don't exist or, or, you know, you're just causing people to, to have mental health crises. And I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, and this is really something that's clear from Ryan Anderson's book, um, When Harry Became Sally, where he really unpacks a lot of, there's actually at the heart of the proposition of the truth of the matter created to be created male and female is actually a concern for, um, really a concern for the good of the person and their own mm-hmm. happiness. Yep. Have you, have you seen this play out in these conversations as well? And, you know, how do you sort your way through that? Yeah. So I think one thing we have to keep in mind is that a lot of times, you know, we're talking about people who are in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I think that's the first thing that we as Christians mm. need to remember, but sometimes forget. Yes. For example, one of the triggers that can send somebody down the journey to believing that they're the opposite sex of what their body is um, could be trauma or abuse. Sure. And so sometimes, not always, that this new identity is a way to cope with getting rid of the old identity that had a lot of pain associated with it. Mm. And I think that's why sometimes when you challenge that new identity that they're trying to create, you see such a dramatic reaction. Yeah. Because maybe instead of saying your new identity isn't accurate, what they're hearing is you have to go back to all that pain. Yeah. I think that's something that we have to keep in mind as Christians Mm. because we are seeking the ultimate good of the person. Yes. And maybe there's love that can be extended. Yeah. In the midst of being bold about the truth. I I love that. I remember hearing a story of one gentleman kind of explaining his whole walk. Um, He identified as the opposite sex for a while and then what's called desisted, became comfortable in his own body again. Yeah. And he said, I remember this one gentleman who just very clean, crisp, just say, I remember his name, John Doe. Yeah. You're not a woman. Yeah. And I hated him for saying it. Yeah. And every once in a while he would just say it again. I'd see him a week later, John, you're not a woman. Yeah. And I hated it. Yeah. But looking back now, he said that was, I think that was one of the pieces that yeah. slowly rung in my head. Yeah. And once I removed myself from the situation, I realized he wasn't angry. He wasn't attacking me. He actually had my best at heart. And he was just gently reminding me, John, you're not a woman. Yeah. I mean, I think that is so, so important that we're, you know, in, in sharing the truth, there are human beings at the heart of this. One of the, the stories that really just resonates in my own heart, this is a South Dakota girl, a minor, and I'm not, I'm not going to say her name, um, but I, I know about this because the facts of the matter are in public record or in court records. This young girl, um, mom and dad were divorced when she was young. Dad wasn't really around. Mom ended up entering a civil marriage with another woman. Um, this, this girl had some issues, um, just like psychologically, things that are not really that uncommon mm-hmm. for, um, for some young people, anxiety and depression. 
And as a teenager, this girl began identifying as a boy and was going all through all sorts of medical uh, procedures, got a new birth certificate, changed uh, her name, et cetera, et cetera. And just as, as a father myself, my heart just really went out to this young girl. I just want to tell her, like, you are so amazing and wonderful mm-hmm. as you are. You are just like fearfully and wonderfully made. You're so lovable. And you don't need to like change a thing about your body to be lovable. And yeah, whenever um, people throw it at us that, well, what would you say to somebody who's deeply hurt by this? You know, yeah. What do you say to them? They're still in so much pain by this issue or this thing you said. Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah. We're the only ones who could say you're, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. The other side is saying, no, you're right. You were born into the wrong body. Somebody made a mistake. You're a mistake. Yeah. No, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So um, I think we're can, we can expect to see um, several bills filed, kind of different areas of the law, but that mm-hmm. all revolve around this particular truth being made as a man, made as a woman, male and female. What are, just off the top of your head, what are, what are some of the different policy areas in which this truth um, becomes really relevant? So I think some of them that we've seen over the last few years and might see all of them again this year, um, you, it applies to, we see these differences in sports, different aspects of medicine, or just simply the locker room at school. Sure. Um, and we, we might see bills on all three of those this year at the se- legislative session. Well, in the sports one, I think has really been, um, I, I, I think I've seen people have an aha moment. Mm-hmm. More people like, you know, the people in the past, Chris, is this really that big of a deal? Yep. It, it actually is because it's a, a truth that is so fundamental to giving and receiving love and being in relationship with others. But it's, they haven't really seen like this big public policy, but the sports thing, we've seen the swimmers recently. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's been an aha moment there. Um, and I don't know, even with the medical stuff, I think there are more and more young people that have made changes to their bodies medically. Um, what, and what is this phrase that I heard you use it about these procedures, cosmetic? Cosmetic gender surgery. Yeah. What, what, what's going on there? What is, what, what have we seen in the past that may come up again? So two years ago, um, Representative Deutsch brought the first in the country essentially ban on the puberty blockers, which chemically sterilize a child, yep. and then the surgeries that, honestly, they remove healthy body parts that you can't get back. Um, so we'll probably see um, a new version of that bill this year. Arkansas last year passed the bill. They called it the SAFE Act, yep. Save Adolescents from Experimentation. Yep. So we'll probably see some version of that this legislative session basically saying that we're not going to chemically castrate or sterilize little kids under 18, and we're not going to cut off healthy body parts just because they believe they shouldn't be there. Yeah, and I think there was a headline maybe a couple months ago, uh, the governor of Texas, or attorney general maybe it was, kind of looking into this a little more. I mean, you just see more and more states that are beginning to give this attention Mm -hmm. um, that are kind of just pushing back, even against some of the medical claims that are being made in support of this, because- the the medicine's just not, it's it's not quite there. And maybe I'll throw in the show notes, some of the past uh, shows we've done on this. There's, there's some really, really good medical views on this. Um, in the Catholic conference, we did bring up uh, an endocrinologist, Paul Haruz, just a premier guy from a big university hospital in St. Louis to do a, um, a thing with Catholic medical students a couple years ago. So it's, it is really important, um, you know, when we're having these conversations that we are, Paying attention to not only the philosophy, who is the human person and theology, who is the, who is the human person, but also uh, the medicine. 
Um, you did mention, I think, locker rooms or privacy. Mm-hmm. Just maybe uh, refresh us what's come up uh, on that one in the past. And I think we maybe even have a pre-filed bill um, on that topic that, that we'll be taking a look at. Yep. So that one, again, pretty simple is just saying that things like locker rooms and bathrooms, um, they're going to be in public schools. They're going to be used by males and females, yep. regardless of identity. Gotcha. Just to protect those privacy rights of the individuals. And the interesting thing is there's even court cases who say, that say, for example, a, a male prisoner has the, the fundamental privacy right to not be seen by a female guard while he's showering. Sure, sure. So, I mean, it's clearly recognized in law and policy that males and females are just different and they have just a personal right to privacy to not be seen unclothed by the opposite sex. Well, and that is important because the South Dakota Department of Corrections does have a policy that would, in some circumstances, permit uh, males and females to be housed together. So yeah, getting this stuff right is really important. And um, even though they're hard conversations, you know, we need to have them in truth with compassion. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's talk pro-life for a minute. What do you, any, uh, what do you expect this session? So I think this session, there'll be a few things that we'll see within what you could call the traditional pro-life sphere. Yeah. Um, and I think what we've seen a lot of, and you and I have had these conversations before, is there's the traditional, what you call a pro-life bill, which in a lot of people's minds means saving a baby that's in a mother's womb yeah. and putting in a regulation that says you can't kill it. Yes. That's the simplest sphere of pro-life bills. Yes. You step a little bit outside of that, you see things like the medical rights of conscience or the do no harm bill. Yeah. So can you say a little more about that? And that mm-hmm. was House Bill 1247 last year, just yep. the concept. Um, I think we'll see a bill this year, maybe different in the text, but the same concept. Yep. Why, why do we understand a conscience protection bill like that is a pro-life bill? So again, that simple sphere of don't yep. kill a baby while it's in his mother's womb. Yep. It's so much broader than that. Sure. And for example, in law, we have that a doctor can't be forced to do an abortion. Yep. Okay. But there's so many more situations that yeah. are arising because medical science is progressing honestly faster than medical ethics. Yeah. So if a doctor and for pro-life reasons or for whatever reason, sees something that they believe will harm a patient yeah, or kill a patient, yeah, they should never be punished or fired because they're not going to do it. Right. A doctor should never be forced to harm a patient or to kill a small patient. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just for listeners who are like, yeah, of course, um, that, don't we already have that? And the answer is kind of, you know, it's in federal law. We've covered this in the past too, um, just that these federal provisions are not being enforced any longer by the Federal Health and Human Services uh, Department, which is why, uh, you know, it's to me a really important for state lawmakers to, to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We've got maybe about a little under 10 minutes left. I want to talk about um, a couple other policy areas. Mm-hmm. Um Another one that's, I think, we is really related to the pro-life sphere, although we've got some other principles coming into play also. It's this topic of surrogacy. I know you've done a really great mm-hmm. job working with uh, Katie Faust. We had her on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yep. You know, um, what, any expectations, predictions, what we might see in the, in the surrogacy realm this session? So I haven't seen any bills filed, so yep. we'll start with that. Sure. But I'm fully expecting to see both sides bring a bill. Okay. What I mean by that is one side will probably bring some sort of bill to limit, prohibit, or push out the idea of commercial surrogacy. Yep. And the commercial surrogacy industry 
is expected to bring a bill that will fully establish their business practice and those contracts and the ability to enforce the contracts here. Yeah. And, you know, kind of at the heart of this is this relationship between a mother and a child. And that's one of the beautiful things about the way Katie approaches it, Mm -hmm. just with the view of who is the child as a person and what are the rights that this child has? You know, and in the beautiful, I won't, I won't share his name, but in, this was really great language used by one of our South Dakota uh, Catholic lawmakers was, you're telling me they're going to transfer custody of kid, like a car title. I'm not for that. Um, You know, people aren't, people aren't property. We don't treat them like that. Right. So uh, stay tuned for more on that folks. And um, if it's, if it's a topic that you want to learn a little more about, or just like maybe it's new to you, a lot of great content out there. Uh, Norman, where can people find your website if they want to maybe look at some of your content? Yeah. So familyheritagealliance.org is our 501c3. And then fhaaction.org is our 501c4, more the lobbying arm. Sure. And just to be, just to be clear here too, the South Dakota Catholic Conference, we operate as a 501c3, uh, some C4s, and I don't, I'm not speaking to yours at all, but some C4s do get involved in electoral politics. And just as um, representative of Catholic bishops, we are just doing issues. We aren't doing candidates. Um, that is uh, in Catholic theology. That's the realm of the lady. So uh, Catholic bishops are staying away from that. Mm-hmm. Hey, another thing let's talk about. ESAs. Now, we've talked about these a little bit on the program. Um, we had a, a great interview with a guy named Sean Peterson a couple weeks ago and talked about just some of the Catholic teaching and ESAs. Mm-hmm. Where. Where, where are you coming at ESAs from? Like, is this just a Catholic thing that I'm throwing out there with Catholic people or other people interested in this stuff? What's, how do you come at ESAs? So I was talking with um, the group at our luncheon today yeah. um, here in Sioux Falls and mentioned the backpack bill, which is a nickname for a bill. I said, it's, they got that nickname because of an analogy. Imagine that you take the state funding for a student, you stick it in their backpack, and it follows them to whichever school best suits their educational needs. And you could just see the light bulbs come on yeah. and the heads pop up and that would be cool. Everybody, I think everybody who's really paying attention to what's going on right now with schools, with any area of society knows that we need to really customize the best interest of the child, yeah. the best education for the child. And ESAs could be a really cool way to take that step. Yeah. Now it's, it, it is great to see the conversation unfold. South Dakota, we haven't had a, a big diversity of thought, you might say, on education funding in the past. So to really just like put the child and the parents at the center of the conversation rather than systems. Mm-hmm. Funding students rather than systems. Funding students rather than systems. And to be clear too, that, you know, I just want, I've said this on the show in the past, but just want to acknowledge like for so many small towns that, you know, a public school can be like the beating heart of that small town. You got the Friday night lights, yep. you got the sports. And so this is not about these these towns and these schools are amazing. They do really great work. So this is by no means throwing sto- stones, but really the idea is may a thousand flowers blossom. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just about having parents, see- parents in the driver's seat um, so they can really make the decisions that are, that are best for them and their family. So, yep, exactly. Um, and for our Catholics who maybe missed our episode a couple of weeks ago, that was with Sean Peterson. We talked a little bit about gravissimum educationis. How's the Latin for you there? I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. I don't even know if I got it right, but okay. Norman, we've got like three minutes left. Okay. I saved the, this is maybe like, I don't know, the hairiest one for last. Okay. Marijuana. Marijuana. Let's talk about it. Okay. Where are you guys at on this one? 
So we expect to see, I don't know, 20, I've heard someone say maybe 30 bills that we'll see this year. Yeah. Um, if you look at the states that have it, recreational marijuana, pretty clear to see it's not smart. Yeah. Um, say more yeah. about that. What's the data that, that we're seeing from other states that have um, legalized, and I don't even like the term recreational marijuana, um, hunting, boating, and, and reading are recreation activities. Mm-hmm. This is, this is not even recreation. It's just like deliberately blunting your mind. Right. What's the data we're seeing from other states? So I think a lot of people are assuming, well, if we just legalize it, then oh, the black market won't be black anymore and it'll all be regulated. And that's all we're talking about here. Yeah. But really you see dramatic increases in the amount, the usage, everything. So that, first of all, that assumption we can just see is patently false. If you look like, for example, Colorado. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at just the the effects on the brain, yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, I mean, it's safer than drinking, or it's safer than smoking cigarettes, yeah. And you were really starting to see the studies coming out that no, this really messes with your mind. Yeah. This is not just like having a beer with dinner. Yes, it's a lot more severe than that. Yeah. And so at the heart of this one for us, the the Catholic bishops, the bishops' conference, we opposed Amendment A last year, which was the so-called recreational marijuana bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be attentive to things that are coming up. Obviously, we need we need to write good laws. Uh, there's a lot of prudence that goes into this stuff. But the basic principle that is motivating us as we're looking at this stuff is that saints don't get stoned. Um, and we don't, you know, why is that good for society? Uh, saints don't get stoned. That's catchy. I like it. Yeah. Father Tim Smith, for, for people around here, I know Father Smith. Uh, shout out to him. Okay, we've got a minute left. That's my list. Okay. What are you looking forward to? What's like the number one thing that, that you're looking forward to? That, no, I know my question. What's your last question? Minute and a half left. As we're going through like the drama of session, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there's like this power dy- dynamic and it kind of feels like sometimes people get chippy or it feels like you're in a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. How do you keep the heart of God at the present, at, at the center of it all? How do you just like keep an orientation on who, on our baptismal call. Mm-hmm. How do you keep that cool in the midst of it all? What do you, what do you do, Norman Woods? I think a piece of it is what you see on Wednesday mornings and on some Tuesday mornings where it's just, you have Bible study with brothers and sisters. Yeah. Whether it's in the governance conference room or 499, um, just being surrounded by believers who stop talking about politics for a little while is yeah. helpful. Yes. Um, you got to be in the word. Amen. And um, Representative Glanzer yeah. gave me a book called The Daniel Code, yeah. a little blue book. Um, I read through that, and it's just super helpful. It's a small mm. little book. Basically, you're placed in enemy territory. Yeah. Keep your head about you. And so just keeping your own regimen, but also being very intentional to reach out to other believers yeah. who are in it with you in a quiet space to really connect. I love it. So it's like prayer, scripture, fellowship, uh, I love it. It's so mm-hmm. good. Um, okay. Well, Norman, thanks for joining us here. One more time, your website? Familyheritagealliance.org. And we can get connected to all your social media stuff from there. I'm yep. Facebook, assuming. YouTube, Instagram. And, uh, and it's all good stuff. So check out familyheritagealliance.org, folks. And uh, for the South Dakota Catholic Conference, as always, sdcatholicconference.org. I just did it, everybody. We're on Twitter now. So you can go to sdcatholicconf. Uh is the handle, South Dakota Catholic Conference. And we got a mega thread up today from Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. Go follow us on Twitter, also on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, live well.